You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Delaware defeating Northeastern just a few moments ago, 61-50 to in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And that's where we start our show today with continuing coverage of the Blue Hens win in the quarterfinal round. Delaware will advance to tomorrow's semifinal where they'll play the number one seeded Drexel Dragons. That's at 3 p.m. We'll have coverage right here on 91.3 WVUD. But Jake, your first impressions from a 61-50 win that Delaware had controlled, a little bit of a push there at the end by Northeastern, but Delaware had well within their grasp for most of the game. Overall, Delaware made their presence known, and I think the big thing that we talked about into the CAA tournament is we know Nicole Nabosi, and she was named CAA Player of the Year, Conference Player of the Year. We know how much she can do. We knew her talents. We knew her abilities. We were just talking about who's going to step up, who's going to be that additional factor, and we got that today. Two other players scored in double digits. Abby Gonzalez with a miraculous three-pointer to knock her above double digits. Rebecca Lawrence tacked on seven rebounds. These other players stepped up. Like we talked about, and we'll hear in the press conference, there was a bit about Lizzie O'Leary that was talked about later. A lot of other players stepped up, and if Delaware plays like this, maybe gets a few of those other shots to fall, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Here was Delaware Blue Hens head coach Natasha Adair after her first tournament win with the Hens. Today by Delaware head coach Natasha Adair, we have uh, Nicole Inabosi and Abby Gonzalez. Uh, coach, we'll start with an opening yes. statement. Oh. First, let me catch my breath, you know? <laughs> um, again, I, I couldn't be prouder of this group. Um, you know, but this this win started long time ago. Uh, the preparation that they put in, the commitment that they put in, uh, we, their group that wants the the ultimate goal. Um, but you see it night in and night out with their work, with their selfless act for each other. And so, just to see it all come together today, we've been challenging them to put it all together. Uh, really harping on defense, and I thought our defense was stellar today. Uh, Northeastern is, is a very good team, a uh, very disciplined team. They can put up points in a minute. They, they're percentage from three. They're the best in the league. And so we knew we had our work cut out for us. But that's just the buy-in of this group. You challenge them, they accept it. And so I'm proud of the way we displayed UD basketball today. It's gritty. It's tough. It's relentless. It's unforgiving. And we want to keep that momentum going into tomorrow. We'll open it up to questions. Hey, Abby, uh, obviously those two games against Northeastern really kind of taught you guys a lesson. What were the lessons learned, especially defensively, and how did they carry over to today? I think the biggest lesson was touching the ball. That's something that we've emphasized since. When they, when they had it, when they had the ball? Yeah, okay. on defense, touching the ball, closing out, discipline, okay. because we knew that they, like Coach said, was the best three-point percentage team in the CAA, so I think that was a big emphasis for us. Um, and then also just scoring the ball was a big thing for us. You also heard there Blue Hens sophomore point guard Abby Gonzalez. And Delaware, as we mentioned off the top, a 61-50 to win over Northeastern, but they're not done yet. This is a team, according to head coach Natasha Adair, that has their eyes set on the full picture, the, the grand prize of it all, the championship, which would be played Saturday at 1 o'clock if they can get through Drexel who we'll preview in a few moments. But but Jake, they talked about that three-point shooting ability of Northeastern, who came into this game leading the CAA at about 35%, held them to 28%. They took a lot of threes, 35 to be exact, but just 10 of them went down. Just Jenko had seven of eight go down from three, but largely Delaware was able to control that three-point shooting threat of the Huskies and put in just enough offensively. Yeah, I mean, she had... Jenko had 70% of Northeastern's made three-pointers, and it went to a lot of Natasha Adair when they played this game. Adair wasn't uh, too strict about leaving like your Rebecca Lawrence and even Nicole Nabosi in, and Nabosi playing 29 minutes, which in most games is not a normal Nicole Nabosi minute amount. It's usually towards the 36-minute, 37-minute Exactly. Mark. I think but, she's fourth in the CAA in playing time this Right, year. so they— like uh, Adair realized that, yes, Anabosi is such a great player, but in some situations, especially in the second and third quarter, when they went small and they went three-point heavy, you saw them pull them out. We saw a couple, like Allison Lewis got six minutes. She was good on the defensive end. Justina Mascaro also defensively. Kirsten West defensively. Natasha Adair was really smart on moving them around. And when we go to this Drexel team, which might not be the biggest threat on a three-point ball, they're not a huge, huge offensive team, a huge defensive team. They're just a really good basketball team. We're going to see how Adair can adjust, and I can only imagine that Nicole Nabosi's minutes will go up. 
but also she'd be willing to use a lot of all of these other players because they saw how well they did. We're now going to bring in our two other members of our cage crew, Ahmed Quadri and Teddy Gelman, who were down at the or up at the DAC for this afternoon's game on the call for WVUD. Teddy and Ahmed, what are your overarching thoughts on the Blue Hens' first-round win? Well, Brandon, you know, it appears that they decided to make some adjustments defensively entering this game, and they did. They played an entirely different game against Northeastern than they did the previous two times they played them this season. The defense was precise. It was sharp. And the offense wasn't great. I mean, you have to be honest. They did not play great offense, but the Delaware offense, the Delaware team is not going to wow you offensively. Anabosi had a very scrappy game, 16 points, 14 rebounds, but the Blue Hens were able to defend well and get some people involved. And I think amid that, that really stood out to us, just the way they showed the ball and the grit what that Natasha, Natasha Adair mentioned. Uh, they were very physical, too, very physical. Absolutely, and I think that the Blue Hens really came out and again, I mentioned this earlier, you got to come out with a clean slate, 0-0, starting the CAA playoffs. But Abby Gonzalez mentioned in the postgame, they had revenge on their mind. And I, I think that they came out with the right mindset as far as offense and defense is concerned. And my, my I had a few concerns myself as far as closing the quarters out and free throws. But again, things that can be adjusted. And uh, quick turnaround, as obviously tomorrow they're going to play Drexel. But uh, whatever you can adjust tonight, I think it's going to be an interesting game against Drexel. So uh, I found this one to be very entertaining. Again, a lot of credit, a lot of credit to Northeastern and especially the show put on uh, by Janko. But, again, it was a very, very good first round uh, for the Blue Hens, first game, I should say, quarterfinals. Teddy, one of the things you just mentioned was that Nicole Anabosi just had 16 points, a good game but not a great game for the CAA Player of the Year. And I'll bring Jake in on this too as well. A lot of what we talked about throughout this whole season has been Who's the next option? Who steps up outside of Nicole Anabosi offensively? And today there's maybe not a single player that does, but kind of talk about the the way that this team was able to pull through with it. More team effort. You know, you get 13 from Gonzalez, 11 from DeFries, 9 from Rebecca Lawrence, close to her career high. I'll start with Jake and then get down to you guys. What did, what did you see from those periphery players and what they were able to do when Anabosi had an okay game, 16 points, 4 of 10 shooting, but by no means her best game of the season? I think they came out with a new sense of confidence. I mean, right off the bat, Rebecca Lawrence had a quick and easy two to put Blue Hens right on the board early, and that kind of stuck. You saw her, you saw Simone DeFries, even Kirsten West. They just looked more aggressive on the court. Kirsten West ended, didn't have any points except one drawn foul, but she looked aggressive in the two shots that she took. You And I think the two biggest people that we talked about are the two guards, the two sophomore guards, both Cargo and Gonzalez. I think those are who we put the most pressure on, not necessarily the most success on, Gonzalez being this steady pace guard and Cargo being the situational three-point guard who at one point we talked about a lot of three-pointers for her. She didn't she only had one today, but they played better. Cargo ended with 7 points, Gonzalez with 13. That's I don't want to say good enough to ride the CAA tournament next to Anabosi, but it's a good start, especially in the first round where they really didn't need too much from them. This is a good stepping stone from them. Well, Brandon and Jake what Adair talked about, head coach Natasha Adair, in the post-game press conference was the idea of, hey, we've been doing this stuff in practice all year long. We just may have not had all of these players step up in a singular game. And I asked, I said, what do you guys think about the contributions from Lizzie O'Leary, Simone DeFries, and, and you know, your, your Abby Gonzalez stepping up with a good 13-point game for her? And they said, we've been doing it in practice all year. So I'll argue that this kind of specific game that they were all able to put together is something that they should have been able to do probably the whole season and not that they were underperforming this whole year but they played a very sharp game and I and I would argue that in the two games against Northeastern they did not play sharp games and they played their style of game tonight and it just shows when you can get contributions even fringe contributions from some of these other players the emphasis on Anabosi goes down and when you're able to put your CAA player of the year and sit her on the bench when she gets in foul trouble and still maintain a 10 to 14 point lead you know you got a good team and I think we saw that today and and wasn't one of the things we've talked about that this team has shown it in flashes and it's just doing it consistently and can they do it for three straight games I think we've seen not against the best teams in the CAA but against the UNCW's Charleston we've seen players like DeFries and Gonzalez really come along, and then other times they disappear. 
And I guess my question moving forward is, can we expect this from those players next round, the round after that? Or is this still kind of that anomaly that we've seen at times this year, but not consistently throughout the entire season? You know, that's that's the question. Isn't that the golden question here? Can they do this again? Or are they going to get eaten alive by Drexel tomorrow like they've already gotten eaten alive by the Dragons twice this season? And we won't know until the game happens because I truly, I truly believe, and I think Amid believes too, that this team has the ability to compete with these teams in the CAA, but they have to receive these contributions again. And having Anabosi at full strength and not picking up fouls like that are going to help them. But only time will tell. They have had a lot of trouble against Drexel, and they're going to have to play their best game again tomorrow. We'll get into a little bit more of a preview later on here in the show. You're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. But guys, your first impressions of the Drexel Drexel matchup uh, and based on what you've seen from them throughout this season and in the tournament earlier today. I'll go first here, and I'm going to go with this. Has to, you have to pitch a perfect game here. Again, very limited room for errors. Uh, this was one of the cleanest games we've seen by the Blue Hens, and I, I said this earlier and throughout the game, this was one of the most complete games I've seen uh, this year as far as the Blue Hens are concerned. So, again, tomorrow, very little room for error. you got a really good Drexel team, and if you if you don't already know, it's a home game. So, again, little room for error. Uh, they have to come out better than they did today. I know it's a tall order, but they've showed us today that they're ready. Yeah, I, I go off that a minute and say, 100% they've got to play their best game and the margin for error is so 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 low because everything we've seen from Drexel this season is that they are the best team in the CAA and when Delaware's face James Madison who is for all intents and purposes the second best team in the CAA they haven't been able to beat them but if they, I will argue that if they put forth a similar performance tomorrow as they had tonight they may not win they may not win but they should darn well be closer than 19 points and 21 points that they lost by. And I think it all comes from that team play. And you got to be tough. You got to cut. You got to defend. You got to move. And you got to shoot well. And if they do those things, Brandon and Jake, I would not be surprised if this is a very close game down the wire. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us on the cage. Teddy, you'll be back there tomorrow, right? Absolutely. Semifinal action tomorrow, 3 o'clock. All right, 3 o'clock on 91.3 WVD. You'll have Teddy Gelman. On the call as the Delaware women's basketball team faces off against Drexel at Drexel in the semifinal round of the CAA tournament. Ahmed and Teddy will talk to you guys soon. All right, guys. Have a great rest Thank of the show. You. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Nicole Anabosi, 16 points to go along with 14 rebounds. Yet another double-double for the CAA Player of the Year as announced just two days ago on Tuesday. Jake, not the best game today for Menabosi. She had foul trouble, three early fouls. What do you expect from her as we take an eye toward tomorrow's game against Drexel? Is it possible that if if these other players around her maybe don't have their best games, that she could put the team on her back and make it interesting against the best team in the CAA? I don't think you get the award of CAA Player of the Year if you don't have the ability to put a team on your back and carry them. And we've seen it plenty of times in games that Nicole Nabosi essentially just takes over. Uh, games where teams are not even concerned about drawing a hard double coverage on her. Not not put a floater, put a hard two players on Nicole Nabosi, and she still scores. Teams that are put two on her mean no one else on the team is doing well enough to guard that defender. That there's some position on the floor that doesn't need yeah. another defender. So they're going to stick two on Nicole Nabosi, and there are opportunities in their games where she's made that work. Do I think against the number one team in the CAA, they don't have an astounding defense, they don't have an astounding offense. Drexel's a good basketball team. Yeah. <laughs> they can Nicole Nabosi can do that. But I don't think that in in the semifinals of the CAA tournament, I think you just need one more person. Need you really do. When Nicole if Nicole Nabosi can put up twenty something points, fine. Your Lawrence's, your DeFreeze's can do their sevens, their eights that they've normally been doing. And they just need one more person. Above points, whether it's Abby Gonzalez, whether it's Lizzie O'Leary, if they even want to go to both Anabosi and O'Leary on the court, I don't know. They you just need one more person to score, and I think Natasha Adair both knows that. And I think the team knows that. I don't think that's the mentality that they're going with, but if you can get that one additional person, this Drexel game is going to be really interesting. Who do you think it could be? What I think, talent wise and overall wise, the first person that popped in my mind was actually Simone DeFries. 
Yeah, I think, second leading scorer this year on a points per game average. Right. I think she has not only the pure scoring talent like we talked about, but she has that attitude. She has that kind of – she holds herself as a, a, just a, a pure basketball player. I think that along with Abby Gonzalez and maybe Bailey Cargo taking that uh, true guard position and letting Simone DeFreeze kind of take those shots, I think that Simone DeFreeze will probably be the – especially going into Drexel, I think Simone DeFreeze will be my X factor for this game. The tough thing for me with DeFries has always just been, at least this season, it feels to me she's stuck between being a three and a four. She doesn't shoot well enough to really be a wing presence, to be a three that spaces the floor out for Anabosi and Lawrence to both be out there, at least not consistently enough. But as a four, she's quick to get around other fours, but she's not quite strong enough to guard a four. And you really can only be what you can guard on the other end. So to me, that's something that is addressed in the offseason. Now, can she put together one good game tomorrow? Absolutely. We've seen it before. She had a double-double against Boston, her big breakout back on November 19th. She's had a couple other games up over 20 points where she's just getting to the basket. And you talk about that attention that's going to Enabosi. She's finding the right places to be in when that goes to the um, CAA Player of the Year but it hasn't been consistent. Sometimes you see her rush her shot. Sometimes she's getting into traffic and just throwing stuff up. Today, 11.7 rebounds. That's fine. Not great. But I, I do agree with you. If, if there's somebody who's going to score 20 tomorrow, that's not Nicole Anabosi, I'd probably go with her too. And hey, for all we know, we might get that three-point shooting from Bailey Carger that we've been asking for for a few yeah. few games. Yeah, I mean, her, her last game in double digits was actually against this Northeastern team on February 4th. 18 points, career high, or second highest in her career. I mean, she's in that she game leads the team statistically in yeah. Since then, most three point possessions. Since stuff. then, before this game, six points per game. After that, right, and she got, went from attempting a little over five threes a game to about two. Right, she just she's just fallen out of favor in the offense for whatever reason. For her, more encouraging to see today, 36 minutes. We hadn't seen that in the past couple of weeks. She had averaged 22 minutes, I think, in the last five games. But the shot still is not really there, and you wonder confidence if you know what. What are the reasons why? I don't know, but you need you need it to come on tomorrow if it's going to come on. Yeah, Del, they only shot eleven three pointers this game. They really didn't need them. They were ahead by four or five for a, a good margin of the game. I mean, their the largest lead that they had was eighteen at one point. So the three pointers weren't like the top of their priority list. But if I don't think this team needs to live and die by the three. I think this team is good enough to feed in a Bosi every once in a while, hit a three, or even get those like 10 footers. Get those Rebecca Lawrence 10 footers, the one that she hit to start the game. The DeFries can do 10 footers. Kirsten West can do 10 footers. Those are good shots for them. So I think if, like we talked about, Anabosi can do her thing and even Simone DeFries can step up, like we said, this Drexel game will be interesting. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Earlier this weekend, Delaware men's basketball, similar result, won their first-round game, the play-in game against Elon, but then fell in this quarterfinal round against Northeastern, who went on to the CAA championship and lost to the College of Charleston. Jake, you were down there for our coverage with with WVUD. You and Teddy Gelman were on the call with Ahmed, giving a little extra commentary. They defeat Elon, 86-79, a good game, but then against Northeastern. The wheels fall off the wagon, and Vasapusicha and company blow them out 74-50, to 50, one of their worst loss of the season, I believe their lowest point total of the year, and not not really the this taste you want to leave in your mouth to end the season if you're the Blue Hens. I'm going to say the wheels didn't fall off the wagon. I'm going to say the wheel fell off the wagon because Ryan Allen shot 1-for-10 in that game against Northeastern, he was, uh, we, I don't know what, uh, it, hopefully it was just a bad day. In the most genuine way, hopefully he just had a bad day shooting. Because shooting 1 for 10, he played 38 minutes, which he, sh- even if Ryan Allen shooting for 10, oh, 1 for 10, I'm leaving him in the game. But, because yeah. who else are you going to put in? It's probably going to be a... Nobody's better than 1 for 10 Ryan right, Allen off right. the bench. So, it was just a bad game by him. Eric Carter played great in Elon, uh... Northeastern was a bit better at shutting him down. Bold and Brace kind of marked him pretty well. Um, so I think, I mean, Daly was brilliant. Mosley was smart. You got a good game with them. I just think that this Northeastern team was just, in all aspects, a better basketball team as a whole. And, you know, it, it stinks, but with Ryan Allen shooting one for 10, if he shot 
six for ten, would the game outcome be different? We can get into speculation. A lot of things could have happened if he shot six for ten. But this Northeastern team was a good basketball team. And we saw that when they made it to the CAA finals and lost a, a thrilling game to Charleston. Yeah, we'll get to what went on across the CAA. But to that question you just posed, I don't think it would have mattered. Maybe and it's not going to be a as big a loss, a 20-plus point loss, if Ryan Allen shoots better than 1 for 10. But as you said, to me, Northeastern's just the better team. Defensively, they're one of the best teams, if not the best, in the conference this year. They did a number on Eric Carter, who had just 10 points. Daly got his, but outside of that, there really wasn't anybody giving you consistent offense. And then anytime they seem like Delaware got close Northeastern had a run to answer them out of the half they had what a 14 to 2 run yeah, to Delaware just blow the game open the half underway they, call, they called timeout a couple times during that run and they they just had no answers for this team they're big it's at least that's what it sounded like when you guys were describing what they have and Anthony Green down low and then Pusicha I was able to watch some of him later in the tournament that guy can play I mean he has 15 points eight rebounds and 10 assists in the game against Delaware yeah, I mean, he, he. If you want to go on a little bit about what he brings this team, but he was the best player on the floor between the two right. teams. And I don't consider him a star player. I don't see that Northeastern um, was like so around him. He made his entire team better. He was not a superstar. He wasn't hitting threes from deep Steph Curry range. He just made his team better. I mean, Max Borsecco came in. We didn't imagine that he's going to have 17 points. When you look at their leading score, we didn't expect it to be him, but he came out and he did what he needed to do with 17. And then he uh, Pushita was second on the list, and then Brace Bolden, who we talked about, was next on, with 13. He made their team good. Well, uh, Anthony Green shut down Carter for as, for as long as he can be in there, and we just didn't have an answer for their wings. I mean, Sean Osius, Max Borsecco, like we talked about, Bolden Brace, they were, I, I think they were a bit too much. Inglesby rotated a lot uh, with Eric Carter, Sky Johnson, uh, even Kyrie Walker, Darian Bryant tried to find who that fit was. Cushing had a few minutes to come in and try to play defense. We They couldn't shut the wing players down. The guards matched up okay. Green and Carter and Sky Johnson, while Green didn't make the biggest impact, he only had six points and ten rebounds. It's a good stat line, but nothing exponential. Yeah. It was those wing players that Pushita really fed, and they really got going. So Delaware fell to Northeastern 74-50. to The day before, they defeated Elon 86-79. to Obviously, not as good a team as Northeastern are the Phoenix. They were the 10th seed in the tournament. So Delaware actually was the favorite to win that game. But, you know, it was a close down-to-the-wire game. Elon really made it interesting. I thought the decision to start fouling with, like, three minutes to go was really interesting and is something that I think might wear on Delaware mentally going into next season, knowing that team's most effective way to get back into a game against you is probably to send you to the line, which is kind of that mental insult. But Delaware couldn't hit them from the line. Worst free throw shooting team in the CIA this year. And that helped make it close. Dimitri Thompson kind of comes out of nowhere with one of his best games of his season, if not his career, 27 points. Again, I thought Elon hurt themselves in not putting him in throughout much of the second half. We can get to that. But your thoughts on the way this game unfolded at the end with, with the fouling and Delaware at the line and then sort of Delaware's play overall. Elon's initial foul surge came at 5 minutes and 21 seconds It's just on so the early. Was That's the crazy. First sign of fouling. Five, it's five minutes left that the teams are deciding that they don't want to play anymore. They want to foul you. They want to hack your team and shoot. Overall, Delaware from and, and, the line. And it's not like like Delaware was playing a good game offensively, yeah. but it's not like they were unstoppable to where this is your last resort to get back into the game. You know, if five, there's still so much time to to get yourself back into the game. It's just crazy, to, and it, and it almost worked. That's I mean, that's part of the crazy thing. They shot 18 for 29 from the line. They missed 11 shots. And if Eric Carter isn't 10 of 12, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. I mean, Eric Carter is supposed to, supposedly would be the worst guy at the line, you'd think, out of your starting five. He's the big guy. You know, traditionally, they're the worst shooters at the line, and he was by far the best. Daly's one for four. I think he was like two for eight in the whole weekend. Yeah, the, the, good, the good thing about Daly going one for four is on inbound passes, Daly's who they shut down the most. So Daly 
barely even got the ball yeah. on direct inbound passes, which was a blessing and a curse because the good thing is Daly's not going to go to the line. But the bad thing is Daly if, doesn't have the ball. If the time <laughs> comes that we need the if ball they don't, to come in. If for whatever reason, three minutes to go, they decide not to foul. Like Daly needs the basketball. Yeah. But I'm actually going to bring up a play that Anthony Mosley had that was well, – I talked to Teddy and Ahmed about it. Our – not going to say consensus, but our – Good idea of the biggest play of the game when Elon clawed back and they were down by five after cutting the lead after missing free throws. Mosley decided they slowed it down and Mosley had a good crossover. And instead of kicking it out to a three, instead of driving it down low to Carter, he just walked in. He pulled up, had a little nice little floater and made the basket. Nothing fancy, clean and concise. That wasn't the play call. Inglesby, you saw him yelling at Mosley before the play (laughs) saying, swing it, swing it, swing it wide. Let's get the play. Mosley, I don't want to say ignored him, but did his own thing. Walked in, hit the hit the Took little an floater. Opportunity. Yeah, hit the two, and that's where it all slowed down. He slowed the game down. There was no more fouls. It was quieter, and that we talked about was a veteran play. But yeah, I think I mean, it sounds cliche, but yeah, that's yeah, I mean, that's that's a, that's a big that, basket. That's his veteran play. He slowed it all down, and I think that's what kind of threw Elon off a little bit because they started getting momentum. They started getting good three pointers. Quick foul, missing two, one or two free throws. And I remember saying it on the broadcast. Right, especially if you miss that second one, right. you're off to the races. And I said it on the broadcast a few times. You only need to hit one of two in these situations. And I put the little asterisks that if you defend the three. And that's not what Delaware did. Delaware hit one for two for, I think, yeah. most of their free throws. I mean, your your point was, was right in that with five minutes to go, I don't know exactly what the lead was, but it was more than 10 points. Right. Like when you have that big of a lead... Like you were saying, just don't miss two. Yeah, you only need one. I mean, think of it ideally. I mean, obviously, ideally, you want to hit every free right. throw and put the game away. But it's not like there's a minute to go and you're up by three. And okay, two points is going to be way more than, or especially, let's say we're up by two and two points makes it a four point game versus a three point game. It wasn't that type of close scenario. There was still so much for Elon to come back into. Uh, but but Delaware gave them an, an opportunity to come back into the game. I guess give the Blue Ends credit for for not letting them win. Right. You know, they they still did secure the win, but that was a little scary to me to see that unfold in a championship setting like that against a number ten seeded Elon team and giving up twenty seven to Dimitri Thompson, who is not that prolific scorer. Right. You know, he hasn't done that every game to everybody in the CAA. That's definitely one of his better games. The Elon Elon was good, and I think Elon caught a break. With Dane and Swoop shooting one for 11. Delaware caught a break. Delaware caught yeah. a break with Dane and Swoop shooting one for 11 and 0 for 7 from 3. And he played 39 minutes. Yeah. He played the whole game. Well, that's why – sorry to interrupt you, but they, they pull Thompson at the beginning right. of the second half. And Dane and Swoop still out there going 0 for 7 from 3. Meanwhile, Dimitri Thompson was 4 of 9. I was like, "Where? what is Elon doing? Why isn't the hot hand in the game still? This is your last game. Play I, the man. I think it was a simplified Ryan Allen position that we had against Northeastern. I think not that Dane and Soup and Ryan – you know what? I, I agree with that. The Dane and Soup and Ryan Allen are both teams too. I think they're both teams too. I think Ryan Allen's much more valuable to a Delaware team than yeah, an Elon because, team. Yeah, because Elon has Brian Dawkins, Steven Santa Ana. They have a couple other options. Right. Sebring is obviously Tyler Sebring, second team all CA. He's obviously their number one in that daily. Is obviously the Blue Hens number one right, right now. And once they 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 kept him in, he held all the ball handling duties. He played actually pretty well defensively. He got Daly and Allen a bunch of times. Got Mosley a bunch of times. He he was a good defensive showing, but I, I agree. I don't know why he was still in the game that late. But they started pulling him out later when the scoring needs came in. They put Santa Ana in in his position. Uh, sometimes they even put in Colin Luther in his position, but he was literally just in for uh, fouling purposes, and then he ended up kind of being on the offensive right. side. Swoop, Swoop and Santa Ana ended up with four. Right, and then because late in the game, you, he brought in like Colin Luther and Seth Fuller and said, all right, foul, and then get out. Yeah. But there were offensive sets that they were still in. That just was three go foul points. Ryan Daly, please. Right, and they shut him down. They shut Daly down. Um Overall, from this game, the one thing I pulled is that this team's going to be good next year. I, that that's my biggest thing, and I know we're talking about Delaware's future in the next segment, but I think that seeing Carter play like this, seeing Daly play like this, Allen's not even on his best game, and he finished with 14 points with five for 12 shooting. Even Cushing, Cushing played 13 minutes, which is not a huge play for Cushing. His first basket was a really nice uh, step and cut from three. Uh, and I think we talked before, he needs that one more layer of skin, one more layer of confidence. Because when you see him, he gets the ball, 
His first thought is not, all right, how can I dictate this offensive set and score? It's, where's Ryan Daly? Where's Ryan Allen? Where's Eric Carter? I got to get the ball out of my hands and give it to them. But if he gets that other layer that, all right, I can get it to them, but I can score also. I'm, 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 I'm capable. Then he'll kind of transcend to the next level. But Carter, Allen, Daly, really good games against a decent team. I think they're going to look good. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. So the Blue Hens out after two games in the men's tournament. 74-50 was the final to Northeastern. The Huskies ended up going to the CAA championship game where they lost to Charleston, the number one overall seed, 83-76 in OT, probably the best game of the tournament. The Cougars will be in next week's March Madness tournament. And a quick look at that team before we get into the future of the Blue Hens team. It seems like, to me at least, with Grant Riller, Joe Cheely, Jarrell Brantley, three all-CAA selections, that Charleston, I'm not going to say they're going to win a game in the tournament, but they can make some hay, especially if they get a favorable matchup. Right. I think most likely they'll land on a 13. I think that's the most likely seeding for them uh, and most likely matchup for them could be um, a Wichita State at a four if they get dropped down to a four or a Cincinnati at a four if they get dropped down to a four. I think Cincinnati's more of a three. But looking at those three and four range teams, they're very good, but they're beatable. Like they're human teams. Like You're not going against a Duke or a Villanova or an Xavier who's just a massive basketball team that I don't think a CAA team can compete with. You have Chile who Chile was took great the game, in the took, championship. Yeah, it, he took, took it the over. game. He's not had as great a season as he did last year, but 32 points. Yeah. 16 of 16 at the line in crunch time. He, and then he, he was amazing. ended the game with nine points in the last minute and 17. That's LeBron with James esque. Right. That's, that's what LeBron did yesterday, and everybody and went crazy. To have his talent and then have four other players on the court with <laughs> not necessarily that pristine talent but i mean grant, grant riller is not grant, far no, away grant riller is a good basketball yeah. player we watched him play i watched him against drexel and that was the he game where tremaine isabel made it really interesting where he was pulling up from three feet behind the three-point line and hitting it like it was nothing because he really didn't want to go home early <laughs> uh and then really went back down the other way and just scored so yeah it's a good basketball team i i'm not gonna count this team out i don't think i was as um Quick to pick them as I was as UNCW last year. UNCW, I, I was really quick to I pick agree. them, uh, and I almost won. But I would, I wouldn't not pick this Charleston team. UNCW was the champ last year. I think that team had that one extra elite player that this Charleston team doesn't have. But I, I was prepared to write it. I didn't because the Blue Hens ended up not facing Charleston. But when we thought that Charleston was going to be the second round matchup for the Hens, I wrote a preview for the review. And in it, I wrote that Grant Riller surpassed Ryan Daly as the best in their class in the CAA. They're both sophomores. Last year, they were both in the running for CAA Rookie of the Year, and Riller was probably their runner-up. If not, it was Eli Pemberton from Hofstra. And I said that Riller surpassed Daly. He was over 50% shooting from the field over the course of the season. And when Jarrell Brantley, their big guy, went down, he was the guy, not Chile, who picked up the slack. So, you know, we, we have that promo here that we play a lot. Can Ryan Daly go pro? He's got to be the best player in the CAA. Well, he had a good season, but you're starting to see where some of the other guys are going and coming from, and that's where you want to see the Blue Hens go and develop, but we didn't maybe see it over the course of this entire season. Daly was good again. Maybe he didn't go to the next level in the same way that a Grant Riller or Tremaine Isabel did, but then you see the talent around him, and you still have to think heading into this offseason, this is a team with a lot of potential. And you know, we said it last year, but it's probably more true this year with Daly, Ryan Allen, Kevin Anderson coming back from injury and so forth. If they spread it and go Daly, Ryan Daly, Ryan Allen, Kevin Anderson, Eric Carter, and Jacob Cushing, that is a good five. Like that, that's that if I could pick the starting lineup, that's my five. I would keep Darian Bryant off the bench. I think that Darian Bryant's a good yeah. basketball player, but I think that— Yeah, my only other option would be if Kyrie Walker comes along. If, if he buds and if he yeah. gets out of his shell and just Like, really I think ideally well, sure. Kyrie Walker maybe—like, you want him to be good enough to be that extra guy. I think right now it's Cushing. Yeah. Especially—Cushing was—last 
I think it was six games of the season or five games, Cushing was 50% from three. Yeah. He really came along well. And especially in the, the Elon game when they came to the Bob Carpenter Center in the regular season, Cushing's three was huge. Cushing's three steals. And that's what you want. Yeah. Like, you have guys who can handle the ball. You don't necessarily want a guy who needs to handle the ball. You want that guy who can space out, stay in the corner, and draw the defense right. away because he can shoot. And I talked to Eric Carter after that game because Eric Carter received double coverage, and he's like, if Cushing can do that, you, you, I'll feed we'll, him. Win, <laughs> we'll win a win and a win. Yeah. Uh, I think that Darren Bryant re- came through a slump, and I think I'm kind of critical on him because of the slump that he had in this last few games of the season. I think the first few games, the first majority of the season, he was good, uh, or at least decent for the Blue Hens. Um, but I think looking at how he played the last two games, especially the two against Towson, kind of a little critical on him. He did play okay in the CAA yeah. tournament. But I think that if you get those three young guys, the two, the sophomore, two sophomores and a junior, and then a senior and Carter and saw junior and Cushing, right? Junior, junior, and Cushing. junior same class as Daly. Yeah, be a junior and Cushing. That's a good basketball team. They have three ball handlers, three pretty good ball handlers. I'd even... Hence to say, I think Daly and Anderson are the uh, yeah, two I was about to say, better I think, ones. I think Allen is not really proven himself right. yet. Uh, then you have your unguardable length of Ryan Allen from whenever he wants to shoot the ball. We've seen him get lit up on fire for three-pointers. And then Carter, who played his best game I think I've seen like in person in against Elon in the first round of the CAA tournament. Uh, he was great, and I think he just gets better. Uh, I think he actually, to be honest, I think he loses a piece with Mosley going because him and Mosley ran a really good two-man game. Um, so we'll see. Not that Daly and Anderson can't fill that. But I think that with Carter and now with if Cushing gets out of his shell, I think this team can be middle of the pack, maybe even a little above in the CAA. I think we know who Darian Bryant is. I think ideally he plays 15, 20 minutes off the bench next year. But I, you know... I agree with everything else you said. I think Carter is going to be a big part of this team's development next year because, again, I kind of think we know who Ryan Daly is. I don't know what part of his game gets better that takes him to the the next level. I think, obviously, free throws is the easiest thing to correct, and I don't think he's going to shoot 65% or whatever it was again next season. But athletically, he's not... He's doing so much with so little, I think, compared to the other players. Athletically, he's not on the same level as Ryan Allen or Eric Carter. He's not quick. He's not. He's strong for his size, but he's not big. So I think he's he's maximizing what he can do, and there's not that much further for him to go. But I think that's it. I think everybody else has so much more potential to grow into. Even in Eric Carter's final season, I think he can become one of the best big men in the league. Yeah, Inglesby said that in the press conference. I think, he said, I think if they compete, that's what's going to be the biggest jump is him yeah. being the guy in the middle putting up 15 points a game consistently. Inglesby said, like, I, t- I told Eric Carter um, the first few games, and again, I'm kind of ad-libbing this. He said, uh, play like you're the best big man in the league. Play like you're the best big man in the league. And he said later in the season when he started to see Carter really playing, he cha- he said in the press conference, he changed it, and he said, play like you are the best big man in the league. So he didn't say play like you think you are or play like you are. He said you are the best big man in the league. Play like it. Right. So, but she wasn't. But Right, but, but that mentality the, the, yeah. that he saw Eric Carter you like growing, that. you like that's that what growth. you want to see. Um, my only question is with and hopefully we get – we see a new side of Kevin Anderson. We, we got – I feel like we got robbed, not necessarily <laughs> in the team-wise, but just because he was so fun to watch and he had yeah. so much going for him. He was my favorite new guy. Right, and then Ryan Allen, if he can maybe get a bit more aggressive on it, maybe get a little bit of a drive see, move Yeah, coming. I want to see him come off the bounce a little bit more. And Cushing, but if they all get better, does that make Will Daly get better? Because Daly's in the mindset now, and we saw it during Northeastern. Given it's not the best example because they've been they were down right, uh, but from it's, the second it's like half a, on. I'm going to take the game right, over. But he he was driving through five men with the mentality of I need to score instead of driving through three and passing it out. Maybe get maybe getting a better shot, but that was his mentality, right. which I don't blame him for. I don't think anyone on the Blue Hens t- team or fan right, blame if he's going to put for. up 25 and 10, right, let him do it. But does he get better that a little bit of the load gets taken off him and then he can do what he does best in that back down, then drive and body people, and then pull up for three yeah, and make it count? Screen. 
I think there's a point there. I think there's also a point that says, or the, an argument to be made, that if Delaware is a CAA contender, it doesn't come with Daly as their best player. That if they're going to be able to win it all, that Anderson and Allen, one of those two guys, has to surpass him as the top guy, and Daly becomes the second option. I don't know if that'll happen. I think that's a reasonable argument to make, though. Um, yeah, I think taking some of the load off of him helps. He's He can definitely space the floor for somebody. He's a good shooter. But I'll be interested to see how that works because I just haven't seen it yet. You know, for so long now, it seems like, especially when he when he came back from the injury this year, it was like, okay, give it to Ryan Daly. That's our best option. And that's that's always been how it's been over the last two years. But now you do have some other options. We'll see if he can... I don't know. I don't want to say that he doesn't trust other players. I think he does, but we'll see if he can give up some of the load and if that makes them better, which it probably probably will. I mean, just generally speaking, if you have three guys who can threaten a defense versus one or two, I mean, that makes you better, right? Uh, if they can get, uh, I'd go against it to say if they become a CAA contender. I think it's because of Daly. I think. It's kind of this women's basketball look where you have Nicole Anabosi and then you I have just don't see it. him being able to score twenty five a game over the course of the season. Like I, I, I agree with that, but I think he might have to to become a real, real CA contender. Unless Anderson and Allen and Cushing yeah, really, like, if, like you said, learn. We see something. What new if from Anderson them. is Vasa Busicha next year? Right. Then I think that we have a, a totally different conversation on our hands. But I think no matter what, I think Daly is still the one of this team. I think he's the heart of this team until we get a resounding showing from That's someone true. else. I think it's Daly's team. I think Inglesby knows. I think all the other players know that. But we do have a very interesting season coming up ahead of us. Let's do a little post-mortem for the two graduating seniors, Anthony Mosley and Sky Johnson. What will be their legacies here at Delaware, if you will? We'll go, not to sound rude, but we'll go for the shorter one first. Uh, Sky Johnson, who played all four years, I'm pretty sure, and had a couple good games as a freshman. I think the best game of his career was his sophomore season CAA tournament versus Charleston, and he put up 15 points. He got the start. He only missed one shot from the field in replacing Marvin King Davis, who unexpectedly missed the game with an injury. And then ever since then, like the, for Teddy and I, because we were the two at that game, it's like the back of your mind, you see like one hook shot from him, and you're like, are we going to get Charleston Sky Johnson? And we never saw him again. Yeah, there were times where he came in. I think he, to be totally honest, provided— And that was still a 15-point game. It wasn't, like, an amazing uh, performance, but it was his best performance. I think he honestly provided better defense than Eric Carter did. He's just a bigger body. That's all. I think textbook all it is. But when you get to that offensive side, there wasn't much. But I think what Sky Johnson kind of provided was that big body because Delaware doesn't have that big, strong center. Eric Carter's big. But he's not yeah. that not that big dude. He's not that Devontae Kaycock body that's going to mm-hmm. body you Nathan out. Knight. Like those right. guys are six eleven and Carter six nine. Right. Like Carter's not in center in the NBA. He'd have to play shooting guard. He was a good defensive player for the Blue Hens, and we talked about this, I think, uh, on the show last week or two weeks ago. If they'll be missed, I think that there'll be an, an opportunity every once in a while where we they wish they had a Sky Johnson body. But overall, I think that the team moves on, but remembers what he did for the team. What about Mosley? Mosley's a little more complicated because uh, I think he— you know, I think you know where I stand on Yeah, you, I know where you stand on Mosley. You know where I stand on Mosley. I think that he was very important for the team, and I said it before, I think the team will miss him because in the CAA tournament, that shot he hit, Ryan Daly's not going to take that shot. Ryan Allen's not going to take that shot. Only Anthony Mosley would have said, all right, I'm a senior. I'm old. I'm yeah. tired. Let me pull well, up and You know why he can't? He would take that shot because he can't because drive he can't in and shoot, do the rest. He can't shoot True. from three, and he can't drive in and Actually, do the rest. He can drive, he can drive but he can't shoot from three, right. so he's like, I have to take a floater in the lane right. because I've never shot beyond 30 feet in my life. I think there's going to come a point next season where Daly, Allen, and Anderson are a little too hectic with the basketball because they're young. They're young, quick, good scorers. They're good basketball players, and that happens. You see it all the time. And Inglesby is going to look to his bench – Hoping to see an Anthony Mosley to slow it down, to cover the pace, not take the shots, let the other guys shoot. And then they, like I, you said, they can't score as much. But I think that this team is going to miss. I don't think they're going to get worse with Mosley leaving. I think they're going to get better. You think they're going to be better? I think they're going to miss having Anthony Mosley on the team. I think, for one, 
there's probably an emotional attachment between Inglesby and Mosley because it's his first point guard here. That's true. It's his first team. He talked about that a little bit after the game, and I do think there is part of it that, yes, you do miss the leader that Anthony Mosley is, but there's also a part of it in that you have to let him go in order for this team to realize it's full right. potential. I don't think they're going to have like, a... You have to let the seeds of the past... Ceremony of him. Like, no, no, yeah, 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 I got you. I, I, I understand where you're coming from. But I think you have to let the seeds of the past coaching era, tenure, you have to let that go. Like He's one of those guys who was the year after Delaware last won the CAA and went to the NCAA. With these, coming in his first year, they had big expectations, and he came off the bench as a sophomore. He eventually played against Corey Hold and then Holden leaves. You know, all these other pieces in and out, in and out. You finally have to get rid of him to now, okay, open things up. This is the new era. This is the new team. And I think you'll remember this part of Delaware Blue Hens basketball history, if you will, but I don't think... It will be one. Of, you know, I don't think you're going to think about Anthony Mosley. You're going to think about Daly and hopefully Allen and Anderson after this season's over. And maybe they make a run or two after that. I, I think he'll, he'll be kind of forgotten. Your way too early CAA prediction now that the season is officially over for the Blue Hens and the CAA as a whole. Your way too early CAA prediction, not necessarily give me one through ten rundown, okay. but put Delaware somewhere and put a team or two around them. So last year I did this because I went to the tournament, and like right after, I was like, let me put down my thoughts so I don't forget this. And I think I had Delaware six or seven for this season, and they were seventh, actually. Um, And I had Charleston winning it all, and UNCW I still had second because C.J. Bryce was still coming back, and he eventually transferred away. Um, But next season, I'm going to put Delaware... Five? Does that sound okay? I was going to put Delaware at four. Okay. I'm going to go five. And then give me a t- the team above and the team below. Well, I'm going to put Charleston on top. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to lose Cheely, but they'll still have Riller right. and yeah. Brantley. I'm going to go Charleston at top. I really liked what William and Mary had this year. I picked them but they lo- Yeah, but they lose David Cohn, their point guard. I think that's a big he's loss. Nasty. Yeah, he's so fast. I think that's a big loss. So maybe they're four. And six, I'll go with Hofstra minus Goosties will graduate. Who knows what will happen with Wright Foreman. Uh, Pemberton might be their best player. I'll have them right after the Blue Hens. I'm going to put Delaware at four. I'm going to stick Hofstra right below them at five. And I will put... I'm going to put William and Mary above them at three. I think even with that loss, they're still a good competitive team. So that'll be my one, two, or my three, four, five, I should say. We'll mark these down and see how we do when next season comes. Yeah, I'll have to look at who who all is leaving. And for this Blue Hens team, keep in mind the guys who will be coming into the program. So Mosley and Johnson are out. Ithiel Horton is really the only major recruit that's been announced so far from New Jersey. Projects to be another versatile wing for this four-out, one-in system for Inglesby. And then Colin Ghost was a transfer from George Washington. He will likely take on the Sky Johnson role as the backup center to Eric Carter next year. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. So from one big trip to another, Bilal Nichols to the NFL Combine last week in Indianapolis. And he put up another impressive showing, a guy who was on NFL radars during the season, but I think is starting to do more and more throughout the offseason to get himself into the conversation, starting with the East-West Shrine game where he made a few plays that got him into the Senior Bowl. He forces a fumble at the Senior Bowl, which gets him an invite to the Combine. And then Jake at the Combine, he was one of the best at his position. He had the second-best 40 time. And NFL.com uh, does their rating system of 1 to 10 on uh, what are the chances this player makes to the NFL. Zero being a, either a developmental league or they don't get to the NFL at all. And you don't really get anybody in between a zero and a four that made it to the combine. If you go into the combine, you're probably either a four. Uh, and NFL, What's a f- what NFL you say sticks a, four a about chance to be in an NFL training camp is what they stick a four to be. They okay. give Bilal Nichols a five, which is a 50-50 chance to make an official NFL roster. So they definitely say okay. he makes uh, a training camp. What was interesting about this was a 10 is a once-in-a-lifetime player. And I was looking at the, the big Lentz. names. I looked at the Saquon Barkleys in them. They only gave Saquon Barkley a 
four. They are only That's awfully specific. They're calling him a Pro Bowl caliber player, which I agree okay. with. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess with the running back too, it's like it's a running back. If if he's really good, okay, he's Ezekiel Elliott. Like yeah. we already have, he can't really be once in a lifetime. Right, and I, I don't think there's any other uh, tens Notable. in the draft. Like but, yeah, below no Nichols, quarterbacks are probably even close to that, right? No, um, I would be interested. I probably actually want to look at the quarterback ratings, but yeah, Bilal Nichols second and forty time. Like you said, a four fall. nine six for the big for man. A, yeah for a big a four nine six is a good run. Like, so I run competitive track and field. I think I'm in the same territory. I think I could maybe run sub five. Yeah, but it's close. And he I'd forced a fumble, like you said, hard. in the Senior Bowl. He made a case for himself, and I think a lot of teams, especially at a position He's that so always takes multiple. Yep. You never have a team that says, uh, "I already have too many at that position." I can't take another one. Yeah, you I mean, can you look, you, stack that team. You look at the Eagles; they had eight guys who they rotated in and out on the D line, and yeah. they still had guys that they didn't suit up. You can take as many and players as you want. He's there. a guy who's played four three defensive tackle. He's played three four. He's played all the different techniques along the line, so he can. He's not limited in this way that a stand up three four edge rusher might be limited to fifteen NFL teams versus all of them. They labeled it. They said that his. Um, he has one. He, he his hands are quick. That's what the NFL they posted out that his hands are quick, and the coaches definitely took note of that. He said that he shows ability to maintain double teams, which on the defensive line is huge because if you have to draw two defenders, or I should say, Somebody's two one-on-one. offensive linemen, yeah, not I got you. defenders, but blockers. You you yeah blockers. blockers. You can open up the world for your defense. I like I like his chances. I think he goes. I think he'll be drafted. I think I'm confident he goes saying that sixth round, day three. Yeah, I think he's a sixth round kind of player, but definitely gets drafted. I think so too, and I guess that works right with that number four, where it's a fifty fifty chance of making the team. And that okay, fifth sixth round pick, you're not guaranteed to be on the team, but they're going to give you chances right. to earn your way onto the team. And I think coming from Delaware with the numbers that he has, which are fine, but not. They don't jump off the page at you. I think that's probably really good position to be in with that resume, which is again, it's good for Delaware, but it's not great compared to Saquon Barkley. Right, these elite players. But I like him. I like where he lands. Um, we'll have to see. I think the NFL draft is forty nine days away. I saw it on tweet. Yeah, it's that like wasn't 50 counting. For yeah, fifty like forty nine. Yesterday was fifty days away. 